Hey guys, one quick thing before we get the show started. We are doing a live show January 10th here in Los Angeles, and we want you to come. We'll have a bunch of guests from this year's show. It's going to be super fun. We'll have a Q&A, and then at the very end, we'll all be able to hang out and meet each other and uh, get to know each other a little bit better. So it's going to be great. Tickets are free, but there is a limited number of seats available. So if you want to learn more, go to justshootitpod.com slash live and get your ticket. See you on January 10th. Hello, welcome to the 90th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are catching up and catching down. We're going to talk about December in Hollywood, the end of the year, what happens when things wind down, and what our strategies are for for this time of year, because it's really different than the rest of the the year. Yeah, we're going to get a little introspective, so grab yourself a warm cup of hot cocoa and get ready for the nesting episode of Just Shoot It. Uh, But (laughs) before you finish that cocoa, you must hear what Matt has been up to lately. Yeah, man. So I'm uh, I'm on a job. It's so funny. We're talking about how in the rest of the episode about how we were planning on not working at all in December and January and stuff and, and what you do with that time and how you wrap your head around it. And I am like, just kind of got these last minute surprise jobs all of a sudden. Um, and one of them is heavily improv. I do a lot of improv in my directing. I'm shooting two cameras almost always. This one is going to be like a four hour long broadcast. Can I ask you, I'm going to interrupt you for one second. Yeah. Just going to get right into into the juice of it. When you have people improvise on set, how often are you using their improvised dialogue? Because I find that I use it like five to 10% of the time. Well, um, it kind of depends on how much the it's built around it. You know, I'll use it a decent amount. I, I will use my own improv all the time. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, like, if like you... I'll throw an alt out? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it basically, if a, if a joke lands and it sticks in your head and the script he makes a note of it, it'll probably make it in. Yeah. Okay. I guess I think like, especially in, you know, I've been doing a little more like the, the 30 second variety thing of things lately. Oh yeah. Never mind. You just can't shove anything that's not essential in there. And by the time we're shooting, usually all the essential, all, all the non-essential stuff has been removed from the script. Well, I think with a little bit of experience, you kind of learn what things can be improvised and what things really have to be very specific. So in a 30 second spot, I think that there's room for improv in finding different takes or alting certain things. So like a button or a reaction and things like that. The setup is almost always going to need to be consistent just because typically there's a lot of client input on that sort of stuff. And, you know, uh, just from a timing perspective, being able to have a clean setup is the best way for you to have a little bit of flexibility in your, um, punchline but yeah in in more sketchy things or like i mean in uh the go 90 show you know that's eight half hours there's a ton of improv there's a ton right and that was more of like almost soft scripting right um it we had a script script but uh we didn't have a ton of workshopping time with it and so we were finding new things all the time you know everybody was super funny and like the majority of the writers were also performing in the show, so it gave us the latitude to, to um, change the change change the script and not hurt anyone's feelings or like ask permission from anyone. I'm asking because I'm pitching right now in a comedy dialogue commercial, which mm-hmm. is you know, as many of you know, it's comedy dialogue is a genre of commercial, and something I always write in those treatments is we'll get actors that really know how to improvise, and we will get all the hilarity of the script. That has been written by you genius mm-hmm. creative directors, but also, or genius copywriters, but also we'll have them improvise some other things and get even more funny stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we get to set and usually on any commercial job with a client, they want so many options that to add improv as another layer on mm-hmm. top of it ruins it. So for instance, I just did a shoot a couple of weeks ago where this guy teleports in from the future. And so we wanted to do a version for visual effects where when he teleports in, we have like an actual light shining on him and a version where we don't have the light shining on him. But we wanted him to come in with 3D glasses on because he's coming from the future. But the client thought it might be too silly. So let's do a version without the 3D glasses on. So we already have four versions of this mm-hmm. script. 
And then there were performance tweaks. And so at some point, if you add improv on top of that, you have to shoot like 32 <laughs> versions sure. of each yeah. angle. Yeah, all of a sudden it just becomes this huge snowball. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, improv is really, it's dangerous, right? Like I always joke, Judd Apatow really messed it up for all of us because those guys will shoot for, you know, they'll shoot two pages a day. They'll have 16 cameras rolling and like Jonah Hill secretly got like a back catalog of jokes up his sleeve because he has writers working with him. Right. Um, but you find out allegedly, these, like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to no, slander they, Jonah. No, Hill. everyone has people helping him. you sure. funny, but you find out that shows like the office or veep are not improvised. And it's like, Oh, it feels so improvised mm-hmm. or modern family, you know, like those shows that have kind of that improv feel. Sure. That probably comes from like the Judd Apatow school of how movies feel. But it's not improvised, so I don't know. I think improv is like, I know know I'm totally derailing the conversation, but I think in the commercial world, it's like a tool used to sell yourself as like someone that can work with improvisers because people love the sound of it. But in reality, when you get to set, it's like 95% the script, 5% Mm -hmm. improv. Or the improv comes out a little bit more in in exactly like what you're saying, reaction shots Mm -hmm. or people finding more comedy uh, in the situation than is scripted and maybe you could consider that improv as well right well i think you know we talk sometimes about a fun run or a wild take mm-hmm. and i think that whether you use that footage or not you know basically you shoot everything until you got it in the can everyone feels really confident with um the state of the piece and then you'll save another 10 or 15 minutes at the end to just like do the crazy take right where you you don't worry about the script and you really go off the rails and uh, when I was doing the that stuff with Kim Peel, that was always a real treat. Like the fun run with those guys. It was just like, oh, they're going to go insane. Great. Um, and I think that it's hard to say how much of it really makes it into the show, but it does set a tone for the cast and crew that there's a level of unpredictability and fun that is really nice to foster on your set. So. Right. And also you're telling the actors that you value their creativity. Yeah. That they're not just like a puppet. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So you're, uh, Sorry, so, so at the end yeah. of the year, you're doing a very improvised show. Am very I allowed improvised to say show. that it's a four hour show? Yeah, it's a four hour. So, so the name of the game is really just like, can we find people who know how to vamp and, and take a, a set of beats and really turn it into something big. Uh, and so, setting up the auditions for it in itself were very strange and kind of like it was hard to wrap your head around because it's like just even briefing the talent on like this is the world we're in this is these are the rules this is the situation just getting them ready and briefed on how this would work became a you know a little job unto itself so i ended up as the day evolved, I got like my spiel became very clear of like, this is how I'm going to explain everything to everyone. And then towards the end, I've started giving them kind of specific things to react off of. So you just saw this or like, this is the way the world works. And, you know, how would you deal with this or that? And it's weird because, um, because of the four hour nature, you're looking for different things in a performer than you're used to with, uh, with a direct with a with a commercial spot or something right. like that. You want someone that doesn't that has a very large bladder mm-hmm. and doesn't need to pee a lot. Yeah. Well, we are going to cut here and there, but I didn't do a ton. This is interesting. I didn't do a ton of redirecting because I knew that I wasn't really going to be able to do that too much on set. But you're gonna oh, like you'll be able to direct, but not redirect because- exactly. So I I was casting much more off of essence than I normally do. I normally like to like let a a actor play and I have test those boundaries and make sure that they can respond to what I'm saying in a really clean way. But this time around, I didn't do that so that I knew that their take and their essence and their vibe was the thing that I was casting in the first place because I knew like, in hour three, I can tell someone a bunch of times, like, no, play it more grounded. But if they don't come in with that mindset, I don't have the time or the facilities even really to course correct the way I normally would in a single cam sort of environment. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I told you my wife used to be on these uh, hidden camera shows on mm-hmm. MTV 
a show called Disaster Date, another show called Jerks with Cameras, and they they were hidden cameras, so you really couldn't redirect, mm-hmm. but you could kind of push a certain thing, like kind of keep pushing in certain directions. And so on Disaster Date, she was going on these blind dates with people that did not know they were on a TV show. And at the end of each episode, when they it was revealed to them, the director would run out and try to pick up missing moments. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I found it really interesting because a big part of the, what the director is doing is they're writing down as the day progresses, they're missing pieces that mm-hmm. they can tell the story with. And they know when they're done here, I need this shot, this shot, this shot, this line, this line, this line. And, and my story that I had in mind works. And so I wonder if that'll be a type of thing, you know, that might be useful for you. I'll be able, because everyone's in the know that no one's surprised that the cameras are rolling. I'll be able to do that a little bit more in the moment. Um, because when you guys cut, you can pick up some stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I don't want to try and, wait till the end to pick up all of the things because then people will be confused about where we are and like continuity would be a big issue, things like that. So, well, you know what I say? Fuck continuity. <laughs> it's a little harder when it's alive to tape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so no, I'm just sure. kidding. But I feel the way that same way as well. Um, yeah. So I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. And when that shoots in two days, it does shoot in two days. So by the time this podcast is out, it will have already broadcast. Um, well, but we're not literally doing it live. We'll do it live to tape and then broadcast it later. So I don't, I, I think it actually comes out next year. I'm not sure. Cool. Um, but Oren, enough about me. What have you been working out lately? Well, as you know, because I can't stop talking about it. I was in Miami the other day visiting some people and an opportunity presented itself to me. I don't want to tell you why, but I, for some unfilm related reason, had a lot of cash in my pocket and somebody I know was selling a drone for a very little amount of money. So just, you know, your regular sort of day where you're in Miami, you've got a pocket full of a thousand dollars and someone's like, yo, you want a drone? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, yeah, I got this drone. I'm not, I can't return it. I, I threw the box away. And I like start researching everything. I'm like, oh my God, he's selling it to me for like half the price. And so I like text everyone I know in LA, like, hey, you know, like every DP, like, hey, you think you'd ever need a drone for like, you know, 50, 100 bucks a day? I text, text like production company people I know. I'm basically trying to make the money back that I'm about to spend on the drone and convince my wife that it's a smart idea. <laughs> anyway, I bought this drone. It's the DJI Phantom 4 Pro. It's not a pro drone. But it's like the top level consumer drone. Right. It's got, um, as Casey Neistat has this vlog that he does a comparison between the Spark and the Mavic and the Phantom and the Inspire, like the whole line of drones that this company DJI makes. And he kind of said like the Mavic is like shooting on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. The Phantom, which is the one I got, is like shooting like on a nice point and click camera. And then the Inspire, which is their top one that is that has its own camera is like shooting on like a 5d right um wait so which one did you get you got the, got the phantom point. you got the the, the point one that, and shoot yeah like the point and shoot um so it's like nicer than than like shooting on an iphone but so the sensor is an inch big mm-hmm. um and it's funny because i haven't like cared about these stats or the the thing i was thinking about is i haven't cared about trying to make video look like film for such a long time I used to be obsessed with it, right? Sure. Like 10 years ago when I was like well, first getting into this. It was the thing that made our careers feasible back then, right? Yeah. And then the, the can, these cameras came out, did 24P and all that stuff. But nowadays, most of the cameras we shoot on are like the same, like Aries. You don't even think about it. Right. Alexas or Reds or whatever. And the same cameras that Hollywood people are shooting their movies on. So we don't really, yeah, we don't care. But now that all of a sudden I, I have gear again. Yeah. You haven't been prosumer in a while. Yeah. So there's all these really interesting things like shutter speed, which you never think of, you know, the shutter speed is like how many times we are reading the information off the sensor per second. Sorry, not how many times, how long we are exposing the sensor to light. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's measured in thousandths of a second. So like a shutter speed of 500 is one five hundredth of a second. Um, Right. That number is becomes really important with drones because there's all these tiny vibrations in the wind and everything mm. that they're flying in. The faster your shutter speed is, the kind of sharper the movements are, right. the more video it video feels. Video it looks, yeah. And so you really want your shutter speed to be 
low, the kind of general rule in photography is your shutter speed should be about twice your frame rate. So if you're shooting 24 frames per second, which is what we do in film, right. you want your shutter speed to be around 48 or 50. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the golden ratio. Right. And so to get that shutter speed, you're always shooting a drone during the day. It's actually legally, you can't fly drones at night. You can't fly drones without having a line of sight to them. And you can't dr- fly drones over people. Um, and to do any of those three things, you have to get a permit. Otherwise, you don't need a permit. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of rules like parks. And, sure. you know, LA City yeah. parks don't allow you to fly drones and stuff. But you're so you're, you're flying in like bright sunlight, right? And so to get a 50th right. shutter is really hard because it's really slow, which means a ton of light is coming to the sensor. So, so this is something I didn't know at all. Out. Interesting. But ND filters are like the number one accessory you need for drone, which, you know, it's like a filter you put on your lens to lower the amount of light that comes in. Anyway, all this like tech stuff. You haven't cared about it in a long yeah, time. Yeah, it can get really boring, but I all of a sudden getting really obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with, that sounds really with fun. This, and I'm watching like a zillion YouTube videos on like cinematic drone shots. But um, the takeaway here is that, you know, I think it's really fun to be inspired by new tech and gadgets and sure. things. And it doesn't have to be camera gear. It could be like you watch 13 Reasons Why and you're inspired by like a new storytelling format, right? Or you watch, like I watched American Vandal, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this show, sci-fi, like mutant power show I'm pitching would be really cool to shoot doc style, you know, like American Vandal. Um, Not that it hasn't been done before, and not that, like, not everyone was doing found footage, you know, like five years ago, but now all of a sudden, I don't know, it's exciting to me again because I was inspired. So in that same regard, like having this drone has inspired me to want to shoot aerials, right? Sure. And trying to think in film. And I mean, this is a, sorry, I know I'm talking a lot. No, so no. I want to hear your input I love, too. Because, I love drones. Because you also were like, oh, thank God you didn't call me or else I would have probably chipped in for half that drone. Yeah, I literally, <laughs> DJI was running a, a Christmas sale. So like I was looking at those same exact videos you were looking at the, yeah, the, the day comparisons. you bought it. Yeah. So um, I basically, in my mind, I haven't actually shot anything except for a test video, which I sent Matt the other day, just in my own backyard. Looks pretty good. Uh, thanks. That was, I didn't have my ND filters sure, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I was trying to think like where in like a production that I'm doing, would this be useful? Mm-hmm. And I mean, number one, most obvious is like establishing shots. I want to get like a nice right. aerial establishing shot of a house. And it doesn't even have to be that high, but even just like flying across the street into a house you know, you can get a steady cam, but you need like a real steady cam with a steady cam mm-hmm. operator that can be like five hundred to a thousand dollars. Probably not worth it for an establishing shot. So right. you'll probably end up just using a slider or something. If you want a dolly, you can't really cross the street with that unless you're closing down the street and blocking it. So it's like one of those things where you can get kind of these cool shots you normally couldn't. And you can also get these really great reveals where you see like a city skyline and you basically jib down to reveal a location or a right. person or a vehicle. And then, you know, secondarily, but much more difficult is like tracking shots, like somebody running on a sidewalk and you want to get a profile shot of them running or a car is driving. Mm-hmm. But those are much more like style shots mm-hmm. than like storytelling shots. You know, you, you can't yeah, tell a story. I mean, that. there's transitional shots and stuff. And I guess, you know, it, it depends on the the piece. You know, the thing that's funny to me and the reason I keep thinking about drones is because when you're on a job with any sort of budget, no matter what the scale is, the things that like when times get tight, you look at what can you cut and a drone with a operator and his permits and his insurance or her insurance. Drones are always portal to portal. So their day starts as soon as they leave their front step, you know, as soon as they leave the rental house or whatever, you know, it gets expensive fast. And so Right, and then the producer can, comes to you and says, "Like, so what do we need the drone for?" Yeah, and you're like, and then well, you're like, be "Well, a cool for, establishing for shot. two cool shots yeah. is is always the answer because you don't use a ton of drone footage, but it does make things really premium." And so, and then Eben says, "Well, how important are those two shots? Couldn't you just do that on a jib?" I mean, and the answer is like, "Yeah," and I'm not gonna cut my jib because I really want it. I've never shot uh, drone footage before, and I I can think of four times where like it was budgeted out. We had a guy on on my Black Pill show. We had the drone there. 
What? Why didn't you shoot it? You ran time. out of time? Time, yeah. Dude, I've been in that. I have never had the drone there, but I've been in that situation so many times where everyone, it's like, we're doing this awesome skate video at the skate park. Obviously, we get a drone, right? Yeah. Nope, got cut. Like uh, I did this Miss 2059. Dude, all these desert shots on top of these giant rocks at the Vasquez rocks. Uh, They want some sort of permit. Let's just cut the drone, you know? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, To be fair, the Black Bell Show, um, our art director who is dope on the side is a drone operator. So he brought it up with him at no extra charge. If we had flown it, of course, we would have paid him for his time, all of that stuff. So it wasn't quite as literal as like, there's the guy who's sitting there waiting with a joystick in his hand. But um, Right. Well, so this drone is, like I said, it's a prosumer drone and not, it's like a consumer drone and not a pro drone. And so I guess kind of the main differences is that I see, and again, I am by far from being an expert, I've only watched a lot of videos, is that a real pro drone well, aside from the fact that it might lift up your Alexa or your RED camera or whatever, the biggest differentiator to me is there's two operators. Somebody's flying the drone and someone is operating the camera, like mm-hmm. the pan and tilt on the camera. With a consumer drone like mine, one person is doing both of those. Right. So because of that, you really, really, really have to plan out your shots. You can't be like, oh, let's just get some awesome shots, which is something I've done with this. Like when I first got Steadicam operators, I'd be like, I don't know, just like... Yeah. run around her or something. Yeah, yeah, and then they're like, oh, what about this? And then they show you something awesome yeah, because that's their stock crate. Shots, trade. Yeah. yeah. But with a drone, since you don't have, especially if you're doing your own thing, you got to really f- plan out your shots. And there's a lot of really great videos on YouTube that are like eight cinematic drone shots. Right. And, you, and it's, do you remember those books? I think I own one of them. I used to always look at them at Barnes & Noble. It's like basically a book of like a hundred film shots, like cinematic shots. Oh no, that's kind of neat though. You know, it's like this shot reveals, like makes a, reveals a scary person. You mm-hmm. must've seen these books. No, there. I don't um, know these books. And I spent a lot of time in Barnes no, and Noble. Actually, I was, a, seen I was a Borders kid, but that's just um, because of film geography. I think it's literally called like film shots. <laughs> uh, it's called shot by shot. No, no. Oh, yeah, It's called master shots. Yeah, I have shot by shot, and I bought it at the borders. Literally, it's like a really wide book. It looks like this. Um, Master shots, and then, like, if you look inside, it's just different, like, fight scenes. So it just shows you how to block your camera. I've never seen these books before. Oh, they're great. They're like, if you ever need to get inspired, like, how to shoot something in an interesting way. That's great. Um, Yeah, and it's like, if someone is down on the floor, here's two angles that... Are are effective cool. and this is how you would here's the mm. dolly move to get them there anyway so that's kind of my new thing with drone shots is i kind of want to just go shoot a short film that is not only drone shots but mm-hmm. but have, have them but use them and then yeah. also kind of embrace this idea that not all your shots have to be from the alexa you know that it's okay to have an establishing shot that's like on a different camera yeah and what's cool about all these new cameras i think the mavic all the drones have it you can shoot in log Gamma, which mm-hmm. means, you know, that you uh, your exposure is really flat and you can color correct things. And I'm not going to say you can match it to like an Alexa perfectly, but you can get into the same zone where it's not going to bug you going from an establishing shot to yeah. a dolly to, shot. To me, the color profile is the most important thing with matching. I guarantee there are all of the big, big budget movies. You'll see a GoPro shot in there. And if you're paying oh, attention, yeah. like you'll you'll catch it. But like every Marvel movie has one. You know, Fury Road is filled with them, and yeah, all the action movies. And I'm sure the John Wicks and like all yeah, those, yeah, yeah, totally. And no one is ever like, well, I was so in it, and then all of a sudden there was a gro- GoPro shot, and I got taken out of it. Like it's fine. Um, and I think for people like us, having those two drone shots and being able to just you know, pull it out of your backpack and do it real quick while everyone's at lunch or something. And adding that extra premium level to your videos, especially when those videos are probably going to be mastered to 1080 and they're not going to be seen in a movie theater. It's like a cool internet video or a commercial spot or whatever. All of that stuff just makes it, just gives you that leg up. Right. And by the way, all these drones shoot in 4K. So that's the one thing that helps you get around the fact that you can't change the lens. You can right. kind of zoom in and post. Um, and you can stabilize things a little bit more. And, you dude, know, these freaking built in stabilizers they are, are incredible. out of control. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, there was an earthquake while I was flying my drone. Drone didn't even, you didn't even see it in the shot. <laughs> Actually, I wonder if you're flying a drone and there's an earthquake, if the ground does shake because your drone isn't shaking with the ground. Right. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I guess well, I should just fly it and wait for an earthquake. You know, uh, the other takeaway, I think, be beyond just the drone specific talk, which I could get into forever, uh, that I like about this, though, is that this is another version of you rediscovering a th an aspect of filmmaking that would get you excited that you hadn't really explored in a while. Like, I think it's totally reasonable to be inspired by a new toy and let that be a thing that, you know, sparks something new. Um, and that's not a thing that you'd cared about because you've kind of been working with more or less all the toys for kind of a while. You know, I think just acknowledging that like that's an aspect of your personality is interesting in the same way that watching movies is or, you know, just kind of like digging in on a script. Kind of get back to your roots, man. It's cool. Yeah, I did used to really be inspired by tech stuff and gadgets in my filmmaking and I've kind of forgotten that and I'm excited to bring it back. Yeah. I'm uh, excited to crash your drone. Oh, I've already crashed it twice. <laughs> so ain't no thing. I actually got new propellers today <laughs> in the mail because <laughs> mine were pretty banged up. Yep. <laughs> well, cool. Well, let's get into the show. So, Matt, we are recording this on December 4th. By all measures, we have almost a complete month left of 2017. Correct. To go shoot commercials, music mm -hmm. videos, write series, pitch things, talk to people. Sure, there's a holiday. You know, Christmas Eve is off. Christmas sure. is off. And I don't know if even New Year's Eve is an official holiday. Uh, it's not technically. Yeah, New Year's so Day is the holiday. There's only two official holiday days left. Right. But for all intents and purposes, past this week, it's awfully hard to get anything going in this town. Yeah. Uh, just as a, a, a side note, um, all of those holidays, you know, whether they're official or not, if you check rental houses, oftentimes those houses are closed for, you know, New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve, things like that, or sometimes even the whole week. You're talking and about gear rental Gear houses. rentals, exactly. So uh, just like a one-day rental on a weekend, if you pick something up on a Friday, you turn it in on the Monday, you're paying for one one day worth of rentals even though it's multiple days uh, on holidays that holds true as well so you can get depending on what the rental hours are for those rental houses you can get a real deal right like pay for one day and keep equipment for like five days yeah if you want to shoot on christmas yeah hey lots of us non-christian people in don't Hollywood. mind yeah well yeah i guess that kind of segues us perfectly into what I always think about this year, which is December is like my mm -hmm. time to uh, do something weird. Get into it. Tier yeah. one. Tier one. Exactly. My passion projects. It's time to write. Obviously, a lot of it is like, it's funny. It's like ever since high school, I'm like, you know, after this break, I'm going to come back. I'm going to just be the coolest guy in the world. Um, so a lot of it is like that type of thing where it's like, okay, January 1st. I mean, it's like the New Year's resolutions start like December 1st because- mm -hmm. Like we've said before, after Thanksgiving, nothing new really happens in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so it's already our time to to figure things out. Is is that your experience as well? Like what's your plan for yeah, the 100%. winter? Yeah, 100%. You have I, a shoot on Thursday and then what? I have a shoot on Thursday and then I have another shoot uh, for three days next week. Oh, okay. Um, Show off. Ugh, yeah, no. Uh, what's funny about it is that I th maybe I even said this on the show already, so stop me if I have. But um, I mentally had been prepared to. I the, these last two jobs were kind of came up last minute, and so I I know that I'm not going to be working a ton. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll go ahead and do these things. Um, you know, a little extra money, a little Christmas time, and I'm not like I said, I'm not going to be working much. I had mentally prepared to be in my pajamas writing until spring <laughs> basically it's kind of where i was at you wearing pajamas yeah yeah I mean, it's cold okay yeah i have a onesie that i wear it's tmi hey well you know whatever <laughs> man it's quite comfy and it also the nice thing about it is it says hey you know like you're in snuggly mode yeah you know sure <laughs> it's great <laughs> You know, I yeah. remember hearing that uh, um, Jason Siegel would uh, put on like a like a Muppet costume when he was right, like a like a Muppety costumey onesie when um, he was writing 
the Muppet movie. Um, and his writing partner was like always so weirded out by it. And he would say that it made him feel Muppety. Yeah, I could see that. That is one of the things I would like to do next year uh, in my writing is try to get like a little more in character, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I instead of just researching th- things on Google, I'd like to like talk to people mm-hmm. <laughs> that have gone through Do a little bit things. of research, that sort of like stuff. Like real yeah. life research. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and just try to go beyond something. I was actually going to say this in my unpaid endorsement, but I might as well talk about it now because it, it's relevant. Uh, you know, the every frame of painting is officially over. Sure. Uh, one of our favorite YouTube channels. So he, him and his wife, I think, Tony Zhu, Zhu and Taylor, his partner in making every frame of painting, they talked about how the way that they came up with original ideas and thoughts was by going to the public library. Mm -hmm. Did you read that article? I did, yeah. And I was like, oh man, I don't need to worry about this one because Oren's got it endorsed already for sure. Yeah, sorry. Um, (laughs) But, and obviously I saw it because Andy Young, one of our listeners and friends posted it on Facebook. But uh, I just found that really fascinating. He's like, look, if you just Google search stuff, you'll find the same things that everyone else found. Right. And the same regurgitated information over and over again, which I think is pretty astute. And so how do we break out of that? Like Pinterest is just Google regurgitated in a different way, right? Um, And so it's like in Twitter and all these things are just linking to themselves. So I really am trying to figure out how to go beyond like these laptops and computers we have make it so easy for us to be creative without leaving our bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Like I want to like force myself to go outside and be inspired by the world. I I love that idea. And also that's actively what I was aiming to avoid with my onesie. Yes. (laughs) I think you will accomplish it. (laughs) Yeah. Just like staying at home and just like digging in and, uh, you know, kind of exploring the, projects that I haven't had time to um, foster quite as closely. You know, I think uh, everyone can relate to being busy and to having other ideas, whether you're writing full time or directing full time or you have a day job. We all know what it's like to, you know, have that little itch of a side project and want to do it, but for whatever reason, kind of ignore that impulse. And we're both living proof that exploring those crazy ideas or just like you know the every frame of painting team you know exploring those impulses is what leads to a more creatively fulfilling life but also most often better career opportunities oh for sure like even just buying that dumb drone i like you know just flew it in my backyard for 15 minutes and i edited a video out of it and i sent it to like 10 people yeah and it's not good and it doesn't those people aren't gonna make my career but i made something and i sent it out which is like a, an accomplishment. It's, it's not an accomplishment for someone that does that every day, but I, I don't. And so I think, um, yeah, there's, there's yeah. some value there in just making things. But there's how an do exercise you, in doing something stupid. Yeah. Well, how do you like force yourself to work when everyone else is on vacation? Mm, real talk. Yeah. Uh, this, and this is true when I had a day job as well. Uh, I um, have an alarm clock that goes off every morning at 5.55, and it says, you're going to die someday. That's what the, like, your alarm name mm-hmm. is? Yeah. You're going to die someday? Mm-hmm. Not you're going to die someday. Uh, well, it's it's shifted a little bit, but it's always some sort of message like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some right, death right, threat. Right now it says, uh, you know, nothing has changed. You're still going to die. Okay. And that's like a, you know, that's a very morbid sort of thought, but the point is, the message is, quite uplifting in that it's like use the time that you have right dude this is why you got an iphone 10 because the (laughs) previous iphones you can just turn off your alarm with your finger or your thumbprint or Mm -hmm. whatever the new iphone you have to look at it Mm. well yeah look at it and be faced with death every morning yeah okay so has this helped you or do you just ignore it or is it just help me oh my god yeah yeah. about podcast on podcast no 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 i would not have squares without that alarm system that's for sure true. So what does it that mean of, to you? It kind of, you know, it was inspired by um, 
Steve Jobs realized that he was going to die someday, well before the whole cancer thing. Um, but like it kind of was in the zeitgeist after he passed away. And that was kind of around the time when I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I'm going to. And like it, it's just is a reminder that you don't have time to waste. Right. So do the it, thing you want to do. And so it, waking up early, getting your butt down and like typing before you're getting emails. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of studies about like people are a little bit more creative in the morning or late at night, kind of depending on what your cycles are like. I'm a morning person. So like getting up before the sun rises, before my wife's awake, before I'm making breakfast means that I'm kind of just jump starting my day and then I don't feel bad about myself later if I don't write in the evening. So did you wake up today at 555? Uh, at 620, I hit the snooze alarm. <laughs> it's a couple snoozes. So what did you do at 620? I wrote you face death. Yeah, I was reminded of death. I made coffee. You know, I've talked about the reason I like to have a ritual. It's like, you know, you need to wake up a little bit. I used freedom, which was a recommendation from a Melissa Hunter. That was her unpaid endorsement way back then, which keeps you off of Facebook and any other distracting websites that you want to block out. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wrote, I delivered a, um, a new draft of a pilot to my manager today. What? Yeah. What, an hour, half hour? Half hour. Comedy? Comedy, yeah. Wow. And you just wrote it this morning? <laughs> no, no, I finished it this morning. I finished it this morning. But I think, uh, you know, the nice thing about having gigs you have to get to is like, knock it out. You got to knock it out before you, you uh, leave in the morning, basically. Wow. Well, I'm jealous. Well, you're going to die someday, Warren. So I woke up at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m., and at 6 a.m. <laughs> None of them work really. It is a different deal when you have a kid, for sure. Yes, sick kids. Apparently, no one tells you this, but the first two years that your kid is in any sort of school, they're sick like the entire time, which means that you get sick, your spouse gets sick. It's real, it's really testing my whole world yeah you know it is i will say it is easier in a sense to wake up and get the things you need to get done done before you have to go to work because you have that pressing sort of time frame if i didn't have anything to do today and or rather i had a bunch of stuff to do and like no one really holding me accountable to it like if i wasn't you know i had to be at a scout at 9 30 in the morning right so like if you don't get out of bed and do the things you need to do before you get to that 930 scout you're in trouble or you're letting your friends down you know like that is a real motivating factor so we'll see when um you know uh, these jobs go away if i you know i'm up before sunrise probably right. not but yeah you, know, you know also don't beat yourself up over that we are all like cyclical people you know what i mean and so f for the same reasons that like you get introspective and you're thinking about things and assessing what you want out of next year you know that also means that like your sleep patterns, I think, are going to change a little bit. It's colder. It's easier to stay in bed. Yeah. And when I say cold, guys, I mean like 65 degrees. Yeah. We haven't turned our heater on yet. And that's why I'm wearing my onesie. Well, all insane information. I guess this time of year, you know, obviously writing is great. Getting inspired is great. But sometimes I wonder about like revisiting my work and uh, maybe recutting my reel, mm -hmm. working on my website. I think January is for new websites. Okay. Just well, cyclically. To, I guess again. I'll stop working on my website. <laughs> um, well, good. do you, I guess it made me think, have you ever gone back to a project you've shot before that you thought wasn't edited well and tried to like re-edit it? Or like once you're done shooting a project, if you're not exactly happy with like the final product, have you ever gone back and tried to like, get something better out of it i will in some circumstances cut down do a cut down from like a minute and a half thing to a 60 or something like that i'll tighten but um you're so much better about getting you're a much better editor a and b you're better about getting the materials you need the stems and the project files and the vfx files and all that stuff so i think it's a little bit easier for you to undo some of that work and kind of tweak things and so I'm typically just working with a master file. So just kind of from a technical standpoint, that opportunity isn't really there. I mean, I tend to not go back either. But like the other day I was sitting with my friend Avi. We we're talking about fun spec commercials we could shoot. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, I've shot all this like amazing footage. I did this whole like awesome like car racing thing on phantom cameras, like insane slow motion. 
done that this awesome skate video that I did not really like how it ended up being edited, but I have all this like really great footage, uh, like a lot of funny stuff from the mm-hmm. Converse things. Like I could, like I could go back and probably turn that into some really cool things, but I I have this aversion to like looking at old footage, you know, because just shooting new stuff is so much more fun. Yeah, I, to me. I think that it's okay to acknowledge that the um, seductive qualities of like shooting something new and just going out there and getting excited about a new idea and jumping in. I think it's okay to acknowledge that about yourself. And I think that's true for probably almost everybody. So to me, I'm like, don't worry about all that old shit. It either is good or it isn't. And it's fine. It's in the past. I think you should come up with a new stupid idea and go shoot that. And do it real fast. Right. Even though the stupid idea will cost you money and the old stuff will not. Yeah, but look, you've got a drone. You can borrow a camera. <laughs> you know a bunch of actors. Like you can, you, I guarantee that if I was like, here's 50 bucks for lunch, you could come back with a cool thing. And that that, that kind of just shoot it mentality and like the freedom of knowing like, oh, this isn't going to be incredible and that's not the point. I just want to go make something and like have fun with my friends and like do something that no one would normally let me do or pay me to do. Uh, I think is worth exploring. I think that's what December and January are about. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of all wraps back around to the beginning, which is, yeah, the just shoot it mentality. When we finally get a chance to slow down and think about where we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it, you kind of come back to like wanting to to make stuff that is your own, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think also it's okay to be like, hey, man, I want to hang out with my family for two weeks. Nope. <laughs> Unacceptable. But, you know, I think it's okay to, like, uh, reconnect. Yeah, you, yeah know? you don't have to work, but I think, look, obviously you never have to work, but I think it's healthy, actually, to, like, open yourself up at this time of year to inspiration because Mm -hmm. it's so rare to have the quiet time during Mm -hmm. the year. And in the middle of the year, it's really stressful if if things are quiet, but in December it's actually kind of peaceful, Mm -hmm. which as uh, you loyal podcast listeners know, my daughter is named after this time of year because of how peaceful it is here. Well, Matt, one other thing that I think is kind of related to wrapping back around to just shoot it is that we are going to have a live show. A live show, you say? Yes, I do say. Uh, right now we're looking at the second week of January, but you can find out more about it if you go to justshootitpodcast.com slash live show. And we are going to have information about tickets. It's going to be free. And we're going to do a live podcast. We're going to have some awesome guests. And it's going to be really cool. We just thought it would be really awesome to have an opportunity for our listeners to meet each other and to meet some of the previous guests. And we are... Book your plane tickets now. Book your hotel rooms. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Bring your picture reel on your iPad. Bring it by. Please don't do that. Who knows who you can show it to at the party? Uh, But yeah, for real, you know, it it is equal parts live show and also community meetup. So the idea is that... Slash networking event. Yeah, exactly. So meet some other people who listen to the show, meet us, meet some of your favorite guests, uh, and... We're definitely going to have, like, yeah, some people, producers and executives that we have spoken about before hopefully come directors where hopefully all of our favorite people are there so um, yeah i think i think it'll be really worthwhile and we are honestly trying to gauge how many people will come so um if you go to just shoot slash live show and just sign up for a ticket then that will be awesome and i think we'll probably have room for about 40 people we'll have a, a room for a minimum of 40 people tickets are free we have no sense of how many people that live in Los Angeles and how many of you want to come to something like this. So if it becomes an exorbitant amount and there's a ton of people on the wait list, maybe we'll have to figure out another way to accommodate you. But uh, so this is kind of like a little bit of a question and we're gauging your interest and availability. So uh, sign up, let us know, and um, we can kind of help to find the perfect venue that matches the capacity of, of um this 
amorphous and incredible fan base that maybe is two people or maybe is a thousand. I don't know. Or maybe is 5,000, which is my theory. So let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. Unpaid endorsements. Uh, Oren, hit me with that new unpaid endorsement. Uh, so I have a couple. They're all dumb. You blew your wad with the, the, the every, every frame, frame of painting, painting one. Well, yeah. I feel like you can't. We've already endorsed every frame of painting. I think endorsing an article about the end of every frame of painting is not really an endorsement. Yo, I will double down. That that article is really good. Okay, it's good. Check it out. Uh, just look for every frame of painting. On their Medium page, actually. I think. Yeah, yeah, in memoriam, or what do they call it? Post-mortem. 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 Yeah. Um, so two other things, totally trivial, but I have an Apple TV and I have a Samsung TV and I assume many, many, many people have this and a producer friend of mine, Joe Price, who you're, I think you're working with right now, yeah, yeah, pointed this out to me and something I never noticed. And it's that, uh, Netflix on the Apple TV looks 10 times better than the Samsung TV on the exact same internet connection. Huh. So my recommendation and something that I've started doing is. I use the Apple TV to watch Netflix instead of my Samsung TV. I mean, it's all on my Samsung TV, but I don't use the built-in Netflix app on the Samsung oh, TV. I use the Apple TV. I wonder how PlayStation 4 compares. That's what I've been using mostly oh. lately. Do you have an Apple TV? I do, but we use it so rarely now because oh, we use Amazon Prime and stuff. Right. Oh, you should you should compare it because it yeah, is... Yeah, that's interesting. It is a very noticeable difference in quality, streaming speed, everything. So Apple TV, and I don't even have like the 4K one. I just have the, hmm. the previous generation Apple TV. It's awesome. Uh, my other thing is, again, I'm making, I've been writing treatments and things. So I use need weird tools to do things very quickly. And something that I used to always use to grab screenshots is a program called Grab. It's mm-hmm. on the, comes with the Mac. Yep. Uh, and it's a previous unpaid endorsement, I think. Oh, yeah. That yeah. sounds like I might have endorsed it. So you run Grab and then you say capture screen and you can either click on a window to capture that you can capture your entire screen or you can draw a rectangle around the area that you want to capture which is what i usually so right now i'm pitching on a commercial and i wanted to reference a lot of other commercials so i go to like ispot tv and youtube and i just play the video in like 1080p or whatever and i'll just pause it on the frame i want and what i used to do is with grab i would draw the rectangle then i would save the file to my hard drive then i would drag that file to wherever i need Anyway, it turns out that everyone probably already knows this, but in the Mac OS system settings, if you go under the keyboard section, there's like shortcuts. And under shortcuts, there's you can program all these shortcuts for screenshots. So now I have it programmed that if I hit Command 4, the number 4, it immediately shows me like a rectangle tool. And I draw the rectangle. And when I'm done drawing it, it just copies it to my clipboard. So I, oh, just, wow. I just draw the rectangle and then I go paste it wherever I want in InDesign or Keynote or Word. Uh, if I hit uh, Command Shift for, it saves it as a file. Like if I want to do screenshots, that's um, that's interesting. But it's so fast. So now I'm just like running all over the internet, and I have this. You know, did I tell you with the the famous group, the new company I'm working with? They help me do the layout yeah. on my treatments. So I just send them a Word document that has all my text and images. But it's not laid out like beautifully, so I just I'm type stuff like oh this thing takes place in an attic, and then I find like there's this awesome direct TV commercial where a guy like keeps bumping his head on a beam in an attic. So I find that commercial, and then I just like Apple Four capture it and paste in my Word doc. Anyway, it's this awesome kind of shortcut that's way faster than what I was doing before. You know what I like to do is I I think it's built in if you do Command Apple. F3 is a screenshot of your entire screen, which is far less elegant than what you're describing. Yeah, but far less. What what I will do it's like a onesie compared to a three piece pajama. I know, but I'll, we'll uh, I'll play a video rather than I always have like the worst time pausing and like getting the actual frame that you want. So what I'll do is I'll play, I'll back it up a little bit, and I'll just spam the F3 key and just hit it as fast as I can as that clip is going and then pick the image the afterwards screenshot. yeah that's not a bad idea um because yes it's sometimes hard to find the exact frame but also oftentimes if you pause a video it has the play button in the middle of the screen uh-huh. yeah so if you're trying to get it as clean as possible depends on what player you're using and what browser right but sometimes that that helps too also you know about keep vid 
keepvid.com. There's this website, keepvid.com. I don't know how legal it is or whatever, but you put in a URL for a There's YouTube some loopholes, I video, think. Yep. and you can download the video to your computer. I just got a new Chrome extension that's not, that's like KeepVid, but b- baked into your... Well, I have bad news for you. Google Chrome <laughs> owns Google YouTube, and they've made none of those, all of those extensions stop working. Oh, really? Yeah. I use it for Vimeo, and it works great. Well, Vimeo, yeah, that yeah, does make go. sense. Um, but yeah, pulling videos... KeepVid is a great for pulling YouTube videos. Yeah, but pulling frames out of videos that you've downloaded just takes a lot longer than just quickly snapping them. Snapping it, yeah. But anyway, so that's what I got. What do you got? So I've got a new podcast and also technically a, a, a zine, like it's wow. 1997 up in here, called Desert Oracle. If you go to desertoracle.com, it's a radio show and like they call them like pocket field guides. And it is a show out and, you know, media outlet out in the Joshua tree, like in the Mojave basically. And it's about desert culture and philosophy. And it's the best. Like I've always loved the desert and Joshua tree in particular is a pretty kind of kooky space. Um, And the main person and host behind the show, this guy, Ken Lai, I think his name is, has just this incredible intoxicating voice and like a really cool uh, attitude about um, the way the natural world integrates in with spirituality and UFOs and the desert and politics and kind of like a very, you know, new, new, new age, but also like a little retro. <laughs> retro. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's got like funky guitar music it's in like the background. New age from when new age started. Yeah, exactly. It's a real trip. It's a real delight. And I think genuinely insightful and interesting. It's not heavy on the camp but still really fun and weird or maybe it's super heavy on the camp and i'm just being too sincere but um anyway check it out make up your own mind desertoracle.com you can get their shows um on uh, itunes and stuff like that and uh, i really really love it it's rad cool well i think that's all we got happy holidays everyone you can check out more about this show on justshootitpod.com. You'll have your show notes for all the stuff that we talk about, our unpaid endorsements uh, on all of that. Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, Ewan Williams is our webmaster. He's helping us out. Thanks, Ewan. Killing it. Doing great work. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Shoot It Pod and me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. And this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. And the music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And please, if you get a chance, give us a rating on iTunes and leave us a review. Helps us a lot. Thanks, guys. Catch you next time. Thank you.